Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Um, my name's Chip Freed. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm the lead teaching pastor at our one church in three locations. Aren't you glad you're here today? I, I don't know, man. I'm just... I am so blessed. I don't know what I did in a previous life to deserve to be part of this church. Um, I, I'm really grateful. I, I tell you, th- this worship band, I mean, what? Like, what? Like, what? I mean, seriously. Anybody uh, watch the Royal Wedding? Michael Curry, the bishop. Did you see the Royal Wedding? Anybody, does anybody know the Royal Wedding? Like, multi-ethnic entered Buckingham Palace. Isn't that so cool? Um, the, uh, Meghan Merkel and, and Prince Harry. Is it Prince Harry, honey? Did I get that right? Yeah. She, you said yes. Thank you, my sister. My wife is just staring at me. Um, but Bishop Michael Curry, you know, gave that amazing uh, message about love, um, about, about, you know, the world we want. And guess what? He is leading a major revival up in Wisconsin. And he wanted a worship team to represent the love of Christ. Guess what team he's called to come up to Wisconsin? And be with These guys, they are nuts, man. Um, I'm stalling because there's a technical problem. No, um, but it's seriously, uh, that's so amazing. And, and I tell you what, I, I want to give praise to Justin Mackey, I want our worship pastor. No, I want to I do this because let me tell you something. Little, he's a parable of what I want to preach to you today. Because Justin, you know, he's, he's a rocker. If you don't know, he was like front man for Fusebox, Rebecca St. James of Fusebox. Like he's played to 20,000 people or whatever. Do you notice how willing he is to just step in the back and let others shine? I mean, you know, musicians can be divas if you don't know. They're so come preachers. <laughs> um, and Justin is a parable to me. He is so happy when he can just sit back and support. Um, and I think that's amazing. We okay, bro? You're working on it. Okay. All right. It's just kind of cool when you got the technicians run around you as you speak. No. Um, so I, I want to talk today. We've been in a teaching series, if you don't know, um, entitled, I Said This, You Heard That. Um, we had Kathleen Edelman in here, a major uh, teacher in communications in what's called the temperaments. So if you're a guest here today, like what's going on in this church, we're on a journey with that. We have hundreds and hundreds of people in small groups learning how to speak, converse with love, right? Use our words in powerful, powerful ways to build up Ephesians 4.29 and not tear down, right? Because words are being used to tear down. And so we're in a series entitled, Jesus Said This, You Heard That, Right? And in listening to his words, powerful words, but words that sometimes even the words of Christ we can not hear. I don't know if you know, but last week began Rosh Hashanah in our Jewish brothers and sisters. I live on what's called in, um, in this part of, of Cleveland, Rabbi Row. I didn't name it. I moved in on it. I moved in on Yom Kippur. 
True story, 2004, we moved in, we're unloading the truck, and my, my two boys were young at the time, school age, and they saw everybody walking up and down the street, and they said, Dad, I don't think they have any school buses in Pepper Pike. We're going to have to walk to school, right? And people were coming in, they were greeting us, they were bringing us cookies and that, and there was a, a, an older uh, a Jewish woman that walked in, uh, she had to be in her 80s, and she had a scowl on her face, and I thought, uh-oh. And she looked at me and she goes, you ruined everything. And I said, ma'am, my wife will tell you I have the spiritual gift of irritation. I will tick people off, but I've only been here for five minutes. Like, I haven't had time yet. And she goes, we called this Rabbi Rowe. And I said, oh, I didn't know. And then she handed me a casserole and she smiled and she said, but we renamed it Clergy Court. That was the greatest welcome I got to Cleveland, man. I told my wife, we're going to be okay here. And this past week, I'm Rosh Hashanah, my neighbor and my dear friend and the spiritual brother, Rabbi Steve Weiss, preached what I think may have been the best sermon I've ever heard on Rosh Hashanah. And he started it in a way that I thought I was going to have to call him and see if he needed help. He got up on Rosh Hashanah on Monday and he said this. He said three words, kicked, converged, Soccer. I was like, Steve, come on, dude. Man, like, are, are, you having, are you having a TIA? I mean, like, what's going on here? And then he said these three words saved Jessica Tinsley and two of her friends' lives. Kicked, converged, soccer. They were hiking in the UK. They were in Hamsterley Forest. They got turned around and painfully lost. They could not find their way back. The weather changed. It was getting dire. They were on the verge of tears. Luckily, they had cell service, so they called 999. Some of you know that's the 911 in the UK. The responders on the phone said, I want you to immediately download an app. <laughs> we're in a different time, aren't we? Like if I called 911, was there 911 in the 70s? I don't know. I don't think they told me to download an app. But they said, download an app, and the app they said to download is called, what's three words? What three words? The word what, three words. Because you're all going to download it as I'm talking. The nine o'clock did. Oh, I forgot. This is a service with no iPhones, if you were here last week. Uh, what three words, right? They downloaded the app, and within literally minutes, they were rescued. What three words is an app that was created, the creators of it, took the whole world and divided it into 57 trillion 10 by 10 squares. And they, put, they let a computer randomly assign three words to each one of those squares. So if you have that app and you plug in those three words in your phone, you can immediately go to somebody within a 10 by 10 frame. Now, we haven't heard of it. I, maybe you haven't heard of it. I hadn't heard of it. I downloaded it. Um, but, but, but it's being used all around the world. Did you know the Washington Moni Monument is at Congratulations Fingernails Desk? <laughs> the Statue of Liberty is at Planet Inches Most. And I am standing right now at, hold on, wait for it, Mercy Lunch Flash. Right here. I don't like that, like you're going to flash out for lunch. Okay, but anyhow, um, that's where I'm at. And, and we may say, well, you know, what, what's the deal with that? I haven't heard about. Well, you will be soon because um, Tata Motors, the largest manufacturer of cars in India, has already put it into their guidance system. 
Mercedes-Benz, Ford, and Jaguar are doing it as we speak. It is now in Mongolia, where if you know anything about Mongolia, it's a very nomadic culture. They live in tent camps. They use what three words to deliver postal service? And what three words is now tracking refugee camps around the world? And Steve, in this message, said, this may sound a little crazy, right? But he said three words, three simple words right now in an app can tell you exactly where you are, where you're going, and wait for it. My rabbi buddy said, that got me thinking. What are the three words by which you and I should navigate our lives? What are our three words? I love you. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I didn't know. I'm here to help. You know, what are, the, what are our three words? I know that was four. I know. You know, it's always my millennials. In the, that was four with a contraction. Four and a half. Okay, I should have stopped it. I love you. Um, I am mad. No, I'm kidding. Um, but think about that. Paul said everything in the universe can be reduced to three words. Faith, hope, and love. What are our guiding words? Okay? And I want to talk today about Jesus' guiding words. Now, it's way more than three words. But he's going to give us three at the end. But be patient with this. There's about, I don't know, 40 words in this. But these are kind of a hard saying. They're not as bad. Believe me, I'm glad the How to Hate Your Parents and Sex, Love, and Lust sermons are in the rearview mirror. So today's not that heavy. But I do hope it carries a weight with you when you leave here today. Because the words that Jesus gives his disciples here has some weird stuff in it. I'm going to talk about them. Are, are what I'm calling hard sayings for the road. They're sayings for us when we leave this place. Because I don't know if you know this. I mean, we're in football season. But the best illustration I got, I mean, Joseph was up here killing it about who we are as a church. The best illustration I ever got, what we're doing today, you ever see the football team huddle? Like they get in a huddle and they go, okay, you know, you go left and I'll be the bottle cap. And you, I'm talking street football, but you know, you call a place. Here's you go. That's what we're doing. The game's out there. What we're, what we're doing in this Christian life is what we leave. So if you're coming here to check in for an hour and saying, well, I did my Christian duty, you're missing the whole point. You know, this is the starting blocks. This is what, what, what races, races do. You get in a starting block and you launch out into our week. We're just huddled up so that we can go out into the world. And Jesus knew that. And what he did, if you read Matthew's gospel, he came in. He gave incredible instructions, Sermon on the Mount. This is how I want my people to be. And when he said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, it was in second person plural, like you all. I want you all to be the light of the world. I want you all to be the salt of the earth. This is how I want you to live, forgiving. excuse me, reconciling, giving, all those things in the sermon. I'm giving you his teaching. Then what happened, if you keep reading Matthew, he went out and modeled it. He went into Gentile territory where you're not supposed to go. He went in all kinds of places, and he preached the good news. He told the story of God is with you. The kingdom's near. And then he didn't just leave it out there, but he touched bodies. He said, I want to be involved in your physical life. See, only Christianity says that. No other religion says God literally gets involved in the physical aspect of the world. Jesus came to be among us, as one of us. He said, I'm touching bodies, I'm healing, I'm reconciling lepers. 
I'm building bridges between broken communities, right? I, I'm, I'm healing. I'm casting out demons. I'm getting rid of the unclean things that are taking down. Jesus modeled it. And then in chapter 10, here's our hard words today. He turns to his ministry team. He says, now you do it. And here's his words. He says, the 12 Jesus sent out, right? Sent out with following instructions. Here's a hard one. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town of Samaritans. What's going on here? Because he sent Paul to the Gentiles and he said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. That seems weird. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel as you go proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Why, why does he mention leprosy? Because he's healing people from all kinds of diseases. Leprosy was whatever cast people out of community. It wasn't just a physical healing. It was a social, emotional healing. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any, this is a weird one, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you. So no ATM cards, no plastic, no cash, nothing in your belts. They carried their coins, their, their, their currency and belts in that day and age. No bag for the journey, extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Remember that. The worker is worth his keep. Keep going. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. In fact, Luke says, go into the home and say, peace be with you, shalom. We'll talk about that. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. And then, if anyone will not welcome you, this is a tough one, or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, look at this, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than on the day of judgment than for that town. And they were standing in that town, so he's saying, maybe even for you. On, right? I'm sending you out like sheep among, sheep among wolves. Great. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes, as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged. Oh, yes, pick me. In the synagogues, on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, oh, goody, do not worry, right, about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You will be hated by everyone because of me, not because of you. Be non-offensive. There's no such thing as martyr complexes. Right? Don't be stupid. Be hated because of me, Jesus said. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Whenever you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Like, this is really interesting stuff. What Jesus is doing here is he's giving his disciples what I call rules for the road. Rules for the road, okay? And, and first off, he's setting them in a particular kind of default. Um, if we read back, when Jesus walked into this place, he came in the boat, he came into new territory, he's going to send them out. But it says he looked out upon the crowds, right? And he was doing the work of ministry, Matthew 9, 35. I think we got that one. It was up there. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was modeling it for them. And then it says in the very next verse, in Matthew 9, 36, 
it says that he, when he saw the crowds, okay, he had, what's this word? Compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, if you ever want to know how God looks at the world, this is the word. I know people seem to preach that God so hates the world. But the Bible said God so loves the world. That Jesus comes into the world in his default mode. This is the number one word he uses. If you look throughout the scripture, how Jesus looks at the human race with compassion. Because we're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if, you, if you're new here, you'll know, our folk around here will tell you, when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and you're the sheep, not a compliment. <laughs> sheep are the dumbest animals that have ever lived. Okay? They are. They get in trouble all the time. Their problems are self-inflicted. They go places. They have no sense of direction. They get in trouble. They're dirty. They carry all kind of bacteria. And Jesus says, welcome to the human race. They need a shepherd. And I've come out of compassion. So when he gives us rules for the road, they're grounded in the modus operandi of his heart, which is compassion for the world. And he gives us just a few things in here. I think if I take these hard sayings and say them in different ways, I'm going to give you a whole lot before we come to the table. But just take little snippets of it with you. Four rules for the road. The first one is he says, when you go out there, I want you to go in servant mode, not condemnation mode. He said, well, wait a minute, what is all that stuff about kicking the dust off your feet and condemning the town? And it was a practice. Rabbinical rabbis, if they went into Gentile territory, like, and they, they, they felt it was so unclean that before they went back to Jerusalem, they'd even make sure the Gentile dust was off their feet. But that's what he said for those who don't want to live with the gospel, those who don't want to hear the gospel, those who are working against the gospel. There's some places maybe that are, are not going to receive it, that are not going to want to be in this ministry of reconciliation. But he said, that's not your first mode. In fact, Luke says it this way in his, his translation. He says, when you enter a house first, say, kick the dust off? No. Peace be to this house. Shalom. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So when we go on the road as Christians, we don't go in condemnation mode. We go in servant mode. How can I serve you? How can I, you know, make things better for you? What did we say this whole series is out of, you know, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that that builds up according to others' needs. That we have to go, there are too many Christians walking around in condemnation mode. I got criticized by a real fundamentalist preacher in my very first church, and he said to me, you don't make your people feel guilty enough. That's what he told me. I said, you know what? I found out they do a pretty good job of that on their own. They don't really need my help. I'm coming to preach shalom, that Jesus brings peace, and that the kingdom of God has come near. The second thing on the roads for the roads, so don't go in condemnation, go in servant mode. The second thing is have a balance between word and deed. Telling and doing. Did you notice? Preach the gospel. Talk to people about what, you know, the, the good news of, of God and Jesus Christ, and then touch their bodies and, uh, you know, deal with their real physical needs. Do you know churches blow it on one or two fronts? They do, and, and we can too. There are some churches that uh, they talk all the time. It's, oh, I'll tell you condemnation, and I want you to repent from your sin and everything else. But when it comes out to doing, oh, that's too expensive. The government should do it. 
Like, we can't get involved in that. Other churches are so busy on deed, they're almost like social service agencies, right? And they never, but, oh, that we're going to call people to repentance? We never do that, right? And you've got to strike this balance, Jesus is saying. Preach it and do it. Preach it and do it. And I'm going to tell you one thing at Garfield. If we ever fall in, I'm going to bug you guys in 2020. You guys are always doing. We are doing stuff. We're out there. We're in the mix. I mean, we'll be doing videos through November and December. There's things happening you don't even know. But, I mean, we're always trying to do. we got to make sure that we're also telling. we got to say, you know, it's not because we're good people. It's not because, you know, uh, we're, we're here because God loves you. We're here because God rescued me. And we're sharing that in word. There's an old saying attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Anybody hear it? Preach the gospel at all times, and if you need to, use words. Anybody ever heard that? There's two problems with that saying. First, St. Francis never said it. True story. Second, it's usually quoted by people who never use words. We need to use our words in wholesome ways. So have that balance of word and deed. The third one, it may bug you, but it's true. Jesus is saying we have a need to what I call monetize the mission. Oh, here goes a preacher. It's a shakedown sermon. They're going to do six offerings and take my money. <laughs> they, now they want my W-2s. No, but it's really interesting. I realized this when I was reading this, when he said don't take any coin, don't take any currency, don't take your credit cards, uh, don't take sandals, don't take a shirt, don't take your staff, which is like don't take your car. Because a worker's worth is worth their hire. What's he saying to his apostles? He's saying, I want you to go out there and do this stuff, and I want the people to support it. Because I want people to know this is a mission and ministry that we need to be part of. See, God throughout the scriptures, and Jesus talked about money a lot. I know we're not supposed to, but he talked about that we have an obligation to use what's been given to us to support Christ's mission in the world and for the poor that part of that is to do that. And, and I think all of us need to have that challenge. And I know some of us are stressed over money. I get it. Uh, college debt, and us, I get it. Don't go in debt, give it to the church. Never. But, you know, it, you know, if we can go to a movie, right? I mean, just give that much. Do something. Feel like part of it. My wife and I, we do our giving online because I've learned, like, we just, it just automatic deduct out of my paycheck for here because if I don't do that, I'll probably spend it on myself, I have a real good habit of doing that, right? So I just want off my mind. Like, you know, we're all called, all of us, to do this thing together, to give of our time and our talent and our treasure. And Jesus said, look, I'm not sending you out there, right, to, to just set up camp. We need to let everybody know that this is our work, our work to be done, all of us, right? And, and that's where he said that. The last thing he says also is be strategic. See, I love how people say, we're going to come to church, and we're just going to wing it, right? Like, you know, we are so available to the Holy Spirit to arrest us, but that doesn't mean we don't plan, and we don't think, and we, you think this worship team just pops up here and says, oh, we'll see what the Lord gives us, and you know, I mean, they rehearse, they pray, they're tedious. These, these teaching series, you know, we plan these things out a year in advance. Like, you know, they didn't, build the king, they didn't build the temple in Jerusalem with duct tape. Anybody read it? Right? Like, it's okay to be strategic. That's why Jesus said, that's why he said, don't go to the Gentiles first. Go to the lost sheep Israel. I mean, let's start with the folks 
who have heard the Bible. We'll start there and then we'll expand out. If, if you're persecuted, go to another town. Good strategy. I mean, Jesus is so strategic, like he's thinking. I don't know where this came in, in, in faith that we're not supposed to think about it. A, we're not supposed to talk about it, which is a lie. And secondly, now we're not supposed to think about it. There was a Christian writer I really loved. who He wrote a great book that's dear to me. And in the beginning, he said he dedicated it to four people. He said, I'm dedicating this for my two Sunday school teachers who taught me the tomb was empty. And thank you to these two seminary professors that taught me my head doesn't have to be. Whatever, Paul says it this way, whatever's beautiful, whatever's holy, whatever's reconciling, whatever's for building up, whatever brings to love, think about these things. So be strategic in your Christian life as you go out these doors. If there's somebody on your job that's getting on your nerves, if there's, if there's a broken relationship, if there's a situation in the community that, that you see, right? Be strategic. Think about, Lord, how can I, how can I use what I have to be an ambassador for you in this situation. What can I do? We have, a, we have a young millennial couple that lives on the west side, Ohio City. I got permission for this. And they were in their neighborhood. And they noticed that these kids were, you know, like throwing rocks into trash cans. And they were doing stuff. And they're like, they're just so bored. And they said, Pastor, what can we do? Uh, if they just had a basketball hoop out, we'll put it out front of our house. They could just play ball in the streets. Maybe that'd give them something to do. I said, you know what? That's a great mission. We'll buy the basketball hoop at Garfield. You put it in your front yard, and you minister to those kids. Do you know that young couple is ministering to about 24 kids every single week? And they just started doing Bible study with them about two months ago. See, we've got to be strategic. We've got to have a plan. Jesus had a plan, right? Now, quick thing. Warning labels. Like, warning, Will Robinson. <laughs> There's a couple things in here that are tough. Oh, I have four people remember that. Yay. Hey, power to the 50-year-olds. If you're, fi- if, you're 50 year old, if you're 50 or older, throw your hand up. Yeah, there's, there, there's 15 of us here. It's a good thing. Yeah. Warning label. What is this business where Jesus said, if you preach the gospel and it, nobody listens to it, it won't be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah? I prayed long about this, and the Holy Spirit gave me this. You can disagree with me. This is what I got. Sodom and Gomorrah never had the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. They were laid waste before ever hearing it. And actually, this isn't a condemnation of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a condemnation of you and I. He basically says, look, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. They never heard the gospel, but you have. And do you know what that warning label is? Here's the best way I can say it. The more knowledge you have, the more God holds you responsible to act on that knowledge. Do you know what I'm doing to you right now? Do you know how dangerous it was for you to come in here for an hour? Because you're going to leave here with a little bit more knowledge, a little maybe clearer message than what you had when you get in. So the stakes just went up. There's more responsibility on your life now. That's why the Bible says that those who have is more required, right? For everyone who's been given, much will be demanded. One who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You know, you, I'm sorry that you, you chose to come here, man. Right? You chose to hear it. The more we read our Bibles, the more we reflect, the more we get into this word, 
God is counting on us. And there's a word in Hebrews that scares me to death. It literally does. The Hebrew says this, for those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness, we're going to do that in a minute at this table, of the word of God and in the powers of the coming age and fall away, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again. You and I can do that. So understand, the more knowledge we get, the more this is required. So if you're just coming here to like feed your brain, Jesus said, look, I didn't go model the ministry and let my apostles stay on the sideline and watch me do it. I didn't send them out the 12 so others could watch them do it. In fact, Luke said he sent out the 70. And the word 70 in the Greek was a number for infinity. This is all of our jobs, which is the other warning label. No consumer Christians. No consumer Christians, right? We don't, I, I read a book recently by a sociologist named Arlie Hochschild. She called it the outsourced self. And she wrote this, because in our generation, we're busy, we're socially dis- disconnected, families are weaker than they used to be, communities weaker than they used to be, people move all over the place to follow their career. Therefore, in every place we live, we live in thinner spaces, she said, than say 50 years ago. 50 years ago, families lived closer together, people lived closer where they grew up, in those days, many things happened organically that now we now pay and hire professionals to do. And her warning to the church was, we're living in a day, and maybe this is why the American church is struggling in comparison to the African church and the Asian church, which are just growing exponentially. Because we're content to come in and just let the professionals handle it for us. Right? I, I, I am not up here paid and the worker for hire to do your ministry. I'm up here to make you so uncomfortable and agitated that you'll go and do yours. Because do you know what Ephesians says? I love this passage. It's words. We are God's handiwork. The word in the Greek there is poema. It means poem. We're God's poem. We're God's song created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared us in advance. To do, that's each and every one of us. Do you know your whole life experience? Everything you've been through, every book you've ever read, every suffering you've ever faced, every trial you've ever gone through has prepared you to do ministry in this world. There are certain hands, hear me friends, only you can hold. There are certain hurts, only you can heal. There are certain lives, only because of your unique design you can touch. So we're not to be consumer Christians. We're to go out in the world. Let me end with this. And the last warning he said is there will be some rough road ahead. You may be arrested. You may be flogged. You may go through it. So don't entertain that there's not. I was thinking about that this morning. I was in the 1990s. I'll wrap this up quick. In the 1990s, I was asked to go to Ireland to preach revival. I went there for a week. My wife remembers it fondly. And back in the 90s, there was still tension in the North and the South. With the IRA was very active, and Protestants and Catholics, a terrible thing within the body of Christ, were bombing each other. And there was so much tension. And there had just been a bombing up in Northern Ireland. I was supposed to preach in Dublin and Belfast, and they, they said it wasn't safe for us to go up to Belfast, so I preached in Dublin. But there were some youth workers that came down to the revival, and these, these 20-somethings, man, they were so passionate 
And they were on the altar at that revival, and they're praying for their country, and they're praying. They're saying to me, Chip, we got, we're, we're giving our lives to work with young people so that they won't fall into the sins of their parents, so they won't fall into the sins of their grandparents. Maybe we can cut this hate off at the root. And I was just so impressed with these guys, and it was their office that was bombed. They were a hit on their lives for doing that, for preaching the gospel, for preaching reconciliation amongst the teens. I said, hey, guys, can I just go up there with you? I know we can't preach there. I went on a train with them. We went up to Belfast. I went to their office, charred, you know, bombed out, and their front door had been blown off the hinges, and it was laying on the ground, and there was a sign on it. You know what the sign said? If you don't risk something, you risk everything. And I thought, here are these young men and women. And no, there's a rough road ahead, but it's worth it. This mission is not, as I say, for the faint-hearted, right? And Jesus says that to us. But let me give you the last assurance, and I'll walk off the stage and prepare us for communion. Three words. Those are a lot of words, a lot of instructions, warning labels, rules for the road. But at the end, Jesus gives us three words of assurance that you can do this. You know why? Three big words at the end. I'm with you. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Whether the times are favorable or not favorable. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. That's messy work. They may bomb you out. But you remember, lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I will not fear because of my education, because of my training, because of my wonderful eloquent style. No, because you are, say it, with me. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, at the end of his life, rose up in his bed before he died. In his last published words, he turned to those around him. He said, the best thing is God is with us. And he laid down in sleep and went to his eternal home. Once you receive this assurance, when you come to this table... The bread, the cup, we're going to prepare that now. Hear God saying, I'm with you. Come to the holy huddle, take the bread, take the cup, and get out on the road. Right? Abraham and Sarah, come here, come here, come here, I want to bless you. Come here, come here, come here, I want through you to bless everybody. Now get out! Leave your father's house, leave your comfort zone, leave your country. Where are we going to go, Lord? I'll show you. He's with you. Take heart in that. Once you've received this assurance, and know it's hard, but go out and live the mission. Amen?